Good morning, church family. It's good to be with you in this new way this morning. And I entrust that you're keeping well. We up here on the hill uh, in Les Murdy, we're doing well for a couple of uh, old crocs at this time. And we're seeking to stay out of harm's way as much as we can and to stay in touch with people, which I trust you are doing as well. Um, I can remember a stage in the lives of our three children when their minds seemed to be shaped like a question mark. Every time they opened their mouth, the sentence would start with, why? I know they were seeking to understand the way things worked in their little worlds. They were curious and seeking answers to their questions. And they were also questioning the authority of their parents. And I got to thinking back on that stage in our children's lives this week. And whilst I took their questions very seriously and answered them as best of my ability, I wondered if the act of questioning was more important than the actual questions themselves and more important than the information that I supplied, although I tried to give them the best. It seemed so often that the questions were not as much about the answers <clears throat> as they were about our relationship together. My children wanted to know that their questions and in fact that they themselves were welcome and appreciated, that they were safe. It was as if their questions were an act of a way of relating, kind of an act of affection, an act of trusting. And by welcoming them and their questions, I was encouraging their why, their curiosity, their hunger to know and be known. Mike Iaconelli, in a little book called Dangerous Wonder, wrote about these things. And this is what he said. He said, when these children finally fall asleep at night, so their questions answered to the best we could and so on, they are secure in the knowledge that the one who loves them is bigger than all their questions. They can sleep deeply knowing that they are safe in the arms of the keeper of their questions. Makes you think, doesn't it? Makes you think those who are parenting now. These questions perhaps are a way of relating. Makes us think as grandparents. I read that bit by Mike Iaconelli back in the mid-2000s. We'd already raised our three children, but we had a couple of questioning grandsons around the place. And I actually think that Iaconelli was pretty close to the mark. Thomas was one of Jesus' disciples. He believed in Jesus. He trusted him. He followed him. And he was even willing to die for him. And we know that he asked questions, that he had what we might call a risky curiosity. One of those events is recorded for us in John 14. And Jesus has said to the disciples that he's going to be going to the cross and then leaving them and going away. And this is what he said in John 14, verse 1. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. 
you know the way to the place where I am going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We get that beautiful response and truth because of Thomas's questioning. When the other disciples said they had seen Jesus after the crucifixion, Thomas wasn't satisfied. He wasn't with them when Jesus appeared to them on that first Resurrection Sunday. And he just did not believe them. Simple as that. And it's because of this that many of people have called Thomas a doubter. He wanted to touch Jesus. He wanted to hear Jesus. He wanted to see Jesus. He wanted to embrace him just as the other disciples had done. And we need to remind ourselves that the women were the first ones who saw Jesus down at the tomb. And they rushed back to the disciples and told them that they'd seen Jesus. And the disciples said, no way, no way have you seen him. They didn't believe the women. I kind of think that doubting Thomas is a bit too negative a spin applied to Thomas's questioning. I'm suggesting to you that Thomas didn't so much doubt Jesus as much as he longed for him. He desired to see the risen Jesus. Curiosity is a hunger of the soul. And because Thomas was strong and courageous and spoke bluntly, he was daring enough to ask tough questions. He was not refusing to believe. He was refusing to settle for a secondhand faith. And so he was driven to know truth, to mingle with it and to wrestle with it. So a week after Jesus had appeared to the other disciples, they're all locked away again in a room behind closed locked doors. And Thomas says to them in John 20, 25, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand to his side, I will not believe it. And Jesus came through those locked doors. And he didn't criticize Thomas. He didn't put him down. He didn't say something like, welcome back, stupid, you unbelieving person. Jesus honored Thomas's curiosity. He invited Thomas to touch his hands and his side. And as he gave that invitation, he said, do not become unbelieving, but do go on believing. It's the literal translation. Thomas, at the sight of Jesus, he didn't touch him, gave this amazing response. My Lord and my God. Thomas's doubt, his bold and courageous questioning was safe with the keeper of questions. A faith waiting to be released was indeed released. His hunger to know and be known by Jesus was satisfied. Jesus didn't condemn the doubter. He invites all of us to view the evidence and to go on believing.
Abraham Heschel was a Jewish rabbi, Jewish theologian uh, in the mid-1900s. And he said this, in every mind there is an enormous store of not knowing, of being puzzled, of wonder, of radical amazement. And you and I have discovered in Jesus someone and something far, far more wonderful than we could ever have dared to hope. Someone we, sometimes we experience God as just incredibly close. It's amazing, it's wonderful, it's great. And at other times, there are nagging doubts lingering within. We may see suffering in our world. We have our own hard and painful experiences. And the questions may arise. Is God good? Does he really love me? Is he really in charge? Maybe you've been praying about situations for a long time and the cry goes up from your heart. Is God really there? Does he answer prayer? Does he deliver and heal today? Does God really speak to his followers? Maybe you're asking and thinking about the Bible and going, well, is it really relevant today? Is it just a whole lot of outdated ideas that don't work in 2020? And there's probably other questionings. It seems that our faith is seasoned with doubt and questions. But unfortunately, we as Christians often feel ashamed for having those doubts and those questions. And so we press, suppress them. We push them down. I actually believe our doubts and questions are an invitation to grow in faith and understanding rather than something we need to panic about or get preoccupied with. Our doubts and questions along with us are safe with Jesus, the keeper of questions. A man was walking along a narrow path, not paying much attention to where he was going. And suddenly he slipped over the edge of a cliff. As he fell, he grabbed a branch growing from the side of the cliff. And realising that he couldn't hang on for long, he called for help. Is anybody up there? Yes, I'm here. Who's that? The Lord. Oh Lord, please help me. Do you trust me? Oh, I trust you completely, Lord. Good. Let go of the branch. What? I said, let go of the branch. Uh, is there anybody else up there? Yes, our doubts and their associated questions are often scary and we find them hard to face. We are often like the father of the boy, the little boy who had an evil spirit within him. And the father cried out to Jesus, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. I think that's Thomas and that's us. Frederick Buchner, um, modern day theologian and pastor said this, I believe the capacity to doubt is one of God's greatest gifts to us. Because if there were no room for doubt, there would be no room for faith either. 
during the week I went to those scholars who study the Hebrew and Greek languages of the Bible. They're proficient in them and write beautifully about the Greek language and the words and their meanings. I call them the heavy hitters, those men and women. And their findings were summarised with this statement in the Dictionary of New Testament Theology. Big three volumes dictionary. Doubt is an affair of the believer rather than of the unbeliever. Although doubt certainly can lead to unbelief. I find that so comforting. My questions are part of my faith journey as a believer. Now, sure, if I focus on them and that's the only place I be, then it could lead me towards unbelief. I read this anonymous statement a few years ago. Doubt is looking for light. Questions are looking for light. Unbelief is content with darkness. Kathleen Norris, uh, an author uh, towards the end of last century, told this story. Uh, she tells of a long intellectual battle that she was having against the faith of her childhood. She was finding it very, very difficult, if not impossible for a time, to swallow much of the Christian doctrine she'd been taught. And later in life, she was experiencing problems in her own personal life, and she felt drawn to a Benedictine abbey, where to her surprise, the monks seemed totally unconcerned about her weighty questions and her intellectual frustration. I was a bit disappointed, she writes. I had thought that my doubts were spectacular obstacles to my faith, and I was confused but intrigued when an old monk blithely stated that doubt is merely the seed of faith, a sign that faith is alive and ready to grow. And rather than address her doubts one by one, the monks instead instructed her in worship and liturgy. That's instructing her in how to know Jesus and to worship him. In other words, to do some spiritual disciplines that feed her faith. And I want to say yes to that. My experience where sometimes I've had the similar or same question for many, many years has been, yes, take that question to Jesus and sit with him with it. But at the same time, continue to seek him, to seek to know him, to worship him through the practice of my disciplines of silence and solitude and prayer and scripture reflection and worship and fellowship. Norris later reported that it gradually dawned on her that to have a relationship with God, like any relation, she must plunge into it without knowing where it might take her. Again, this anonymous little sentence I read years ago. Doubts or questionings are the ants in the pants of faith. They keep it awake and moving. I love that. Now, the thing I want us to notice here at the end of Jesus' encounter with Thomas is that Jesus offers a special blessing of 
to all of us who have questions and who doubt. To those who have not seen, yet go on believing. This is what's said in verse 29 of John 20. Jesus said to Thomas, after Thomas has declared, my Lord, my God, Jesus says to him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. That blessing comes to you, to me, here in our lounge rooms this morning as we listen. We've not seen, we've not been with the living resurrected Jesus like Thomas and those first disciples to see his wounds. But we are blessed because we believe without seeing. Please don't rush past that blessing this morning. Linger in it. Now, in all his resurrection appearances, and we talked about many of those last week, Jesus was the one who sought out those who had been affected by, and in some cases shattered by, or traumatised by the events of the crucifixion. He, as the risen Lord, went out seeking them, and he appeared to them to help them understand that they were living in a new reality, the days of resurrection. Or as Peter put it, and Jesus met Peter on the shores of the Lake Galilee with his cooked breakfast, remember there in um, John 21. Peter says this, this is a living hope that we have through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. That's why Jesus went out to meet them, to show them a new living resurrected hope. As we read about the risen Jesus interacting with his shattered followers, we also need to note that he did it with gentleness and tenderness. Isn't that what he did to the fearful disciples in the upper room and then a week later to Thomas? I wonder if you've identified with Thomas in any way this morning. you got some doubts, some questions. Some may seem really big, others just little. Maybe there are things about the faith that you find hard to believe. Maybe the circumstances of your life are causing you to be disillusioned and you're kind of being affected by those circumstances and so you're asking questions of God. Maybe there are things that you're just hesitant to believe. Maybe you don't believe that a resurrection can happen in your life like all those that Jesus met with post the resurrection. I wonder if you can sit with this stuff for a little while. Yeah, a little while this morning or maybe some other times or repeated times and believe that the risen Jesus is waiting in love to press through the locked doors of your questioning of your life and to enter your life with the words, peace be with you. In love, he wants to pass through those locked doors and speak peace into your heart. Will you live out your doubts in the presence of the risen Lord instead of suppressing them? Your questions? 
He will come into that place of questioning with tenderness and grace. He's not offended by your questions, your doubts. He welcomes them. Let me say here, though, that mostly resurrection takes time. At least my own experience says that as I live with and work with doubts. It takes more than one sitting with Jesus. It takes time. But we can wait in hope. Just look at that email I sent you uh, this week about waiting in hope in these circumstances. And then as we wait, we can celebrate the slow steps of resurrection that we have. Just, just sit with this stuff as I read to you this poem called Resurrection by Mary Ann Bernard. And in the email that I sent you Thursday, um, I've given you a reference uh, on the web uh, to this poem. Here we go. Resurrection. Long, long, long ago, way before this winter's snow first fell upon these weathered fields, I used to sit and watch and feel and dream of how the spring would be. When through the winter's stormy sea she'd raise her green and growing head, her warmth would resurrect the dead. Long before this winter's snow, I dreamt of this day's sunny glow and thought somehow my pain would pass with winter's pain and peace like grass would simply grow. The pain's not gone. It's still as cold and hard and long as lonely pain has ever been. It cuts so deep and fear within. Long before this winter's snow, I ran from pain, looked high and low for some fast way to get around its hurt and cold. I'd have found, if I had looked at what was there, that things don't follow fast or fair. That life goes on, times do change, and grass does grow despite life's pains. Long before this winter's snow, I thought that this day's sunny glow, the smiling children and growing things and flowers bright were brought by spring. Now I know the sun does shine, that children smile, and from the dark, cold grime, a flower comes. It groans, yet sings, and through its pain, its peace begins. Thank you for being uh, with this um, video clip this morning. Um, I trust that as you sit um, with Jesus, maybe with your doubts, but maybe sitting just in worship, you will know the presence of the resurrected Jesus speaking into your hearts and your lives, his peace. And may you know that though you have not seen, you believe and therefore you are blessed. God bless you.